Some people seem to move almost effortlessly from planning into action, but appearances can be deceiving. It all comes down to having a process that works for you. I'm your host, M. David Green. Hack the Process is a show about looking at the systems and processes that we build our lives around to support mindful, meaningful progress. This show explores ways that people get past that pivot point, from having a fantasy to putting something real out there into the world. If you're ready to stop planning and fantasizing and start taking action, let's hack the process together. As a serial entrepreneur, Justin McGill has embraced the concept of radical transparency, sharing the successes and failures of his ventures openly every week as the co-host of a public podcast, Zero to Scale. That's allowed him to turn both his internal and external research into marketing and grow the audience for his current company, LeadFuse. In this episode, Justin will tell us how he went from working in a trucking company to launching his first business, what he learned from reaching out to the author of the book that taught him about sales, and how he's integrated both his personal and professional life through the project management tools he uses. So today I'm talking with Justin McGill, and he is the founder of Lead Fuse and also a fellow podcaster. He's a co-host on a show called Zero to Scale, where he uses radical transparency to share his experiences. And I'd love to talk with you about that. Justin, how are you doing today? I am doing great. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. I'm really excited to have you on the show. I've listened to some episodes of Zero to Scale, and you and your co-host are out there sharing your experiences as you found your companies and build them from start to finish. I'm really curious how you came up with that idea. Yeah, you know, it actually originated from just being a big fan of Groove's blog. So GrooveHQ.com slash blog. If you go there, they do a really good job. The founder, Alex, just puts together really good weekly content about, you know, something he's learned in his business and kind of shares that. And they kind of document their journey a little bit. And so I wanted to do the same thing, but in audio format with, with a podcast. And Luckily, I met Greg, who is my co-host on that podcast, and through a third party, we eventually joined into a mastermind group, but he had a lot of podcasting experience, and so I was able to kind of lean on that and yeah, so we started it. It's, uh, you know, it's been about a year and a half in and we just kind of document each week the things that we're doing in our businesses to help grow and, and scale them. So pretty fun. You know, it's uh, it's interesting because what it does for the community and, and the people that listen, they just feel like they, they really know you and kind of how you think and how you operate. And it's been an interesting experience. I mean, it's led to investment funds and customers and all of that as well, which is obviously, uh, you know, just icing on the cake, I guess. Yeah, I think it's probably particularly relevant for the type of business that you're running. Why don't you tell people a little bit about what LeadFuse is and what you've been building? Yeah, so so basically LeadFuse is a lead generation platform for B2B service companies. And so we gather all of the contact information on your ideal target market and then allow you to facilitate the, the communication to them through cold emailing. We automate the follow-ups and have built in like reply detection. So if leads respond, they're not getting your follow-ups, you know, that sort of thing. So yeah, it's just kind of a way to help scale your, your lead generation. This way you're kind of focused on people that actually respond and are interested versus spending all of your day maybe just doing cold calls, for example, to try and generate new business. So just kind of puts that 
own autopilot. That's very cool. Is it something that you came up with because it was something that you yourself needed? Yeah. So actually, I, I started a digital marketing agency about eight years ago. And one of the challenges I had early on was I just didn't know how to get customers. And so I ended up kind of building some software that would scrape different sites and then pull in contact information. And then I would go in and from who is or if their website had an email address, right? And then I would go and follow up and send them an email. And then gradually it kind of built into that a solution that would automate the email sending and just kind of have merge tags and whatnot. So that way the information like their domain could be used and maybe their keyword ranking and the keywords and whatnot. And so kind of built that software in addition to some other software. I was I was like scraping Craigslist for, you know, SEO jobs and digital marketing jobs and everything. Ended up kind of automating that process simply because I was spending six hours a day doing that manually originally. And so kind of had these different components, you know, these different software utilities, if you will, that I had built up over the years from my agency, got to a point where, you know, scaled out the agency, got a team in place and was kind of ready for the next challenge. And so I just decided to kind of look around and, and see what I had already at my disposal so that I could maybe start a, a software company a little quicker. I had tried a, a software company before that. And it was like a, what I call a campaign management system for marketing agencies, just to kind of, you know, manage that process, but spent 10, 11 months building it out and didn't tell anybody, didn't have any big launch or anything like that. Just, just put it out there and just fell flat. And so I was like, okay, well, I don't want to spend 60 grand and then 10, 11 more months building out another software tool. So let me just see what I have at my disposal, see if I can kind of maybe wrap a service around that initially so I didn't have to rebuild the software. So basically, I would just use the software myself, but kind of be that, that service layer on top of it, if you will. And it started as a kind of a done for you service where customers would sign up. I would pull in the, I'd go find the leads through the software, kind of remove duplicates and all of that, and then write the email copy, set up an email account, do the email sending, the follow-ups and all of that. And then it kind of graduated into a, you know, a full self-service type SaaS solution at this point. It sounds like you started off by doing a lot of stuff manually that you ended up being able to automate over time. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yep. So if I've been keeping track correctly, it sounds to me like you went through three companies before you got to the point of building this current one. Yeah, probably a fourth and fifth too, just on the side though. They were, they were side projects that for one reason or another, just, just didn't make it like one, for example, at my agency, we had a property management customer that came on big account for us. You know, they had 30, 40 different locations. We're going to do marketing for all of them. And so one of the team brainstorms we had was, okay, how can we go above and beyond for this customer beyond what they just signed up for? And, and one of the concepts we came up with was like a community newsletter. And in that newsletter, we would share events that are happening there at that community, but then also reach out to some local businesses and try to secure like some discounts and special offers for the residents. And we ended up spinning that off into kind of its own business model what we thought was a two-sided marketplace and that, which I, I wouldn't normally advise because you need like Amazon's a two-sided marketplace, right? You have your buyers and sellers, eBay, you know, you've got somebody that buys and, and somebody that has to sell, right? And, well, in this case, we needed to get property management companies on board with allowing us to market their communities to local businesses. And then we needed local businesses to be interested to pay us money because that's where the revenue would come from. And so we, we signed a, like a top 10 property management company here in the States. And I mean, it was, it was taking off. I mean, we, we had sales reps kind of plugged into our CRM where, you know, basically our CRM, we had custom built where we utilized Google maps API and we pulled in all of the local businesses around the apartment community. 
And then we would have people making cold calls directly to those businesses just to get an email address because we would use this system to, you know, they would click a button and then our system would send out automated emails after that. And this is when I really saw the power of, of what this could become and what I would ultimately integrate into LeadFuse. But in any case, the business was going really well. The sales reps loved it because they clicked a button. We'd have an email going out. You were interested in, in getting your special offer in front of our residents Our you know, we're going to print in two weeks. And then we'd have another one that would follow up a few days later saying, you know, we, we're only going to have one pizza shop, right? So you're the one, but if not, let us know and we'll, we'll move on, which kind of built in that sense of urgency, which was nice. And, and again, all of this was automated. The sales reps were just getting commissions for deals. They didn't really have to do anything else with. And so we were getting deals every day. I mean, projections were insane. We had the property management company that signed up as a customer actually wanted to be a investor into the business. And so they offered that as well. We were spending days and days just kind of mapping out how we were going to go digital with it. These, these were literally in hand newsletters that we had printed out and delivered, which was ironic given that I was coming from a digital marketing agency. But in any case, it is what it is. Fast forward a couple of months and we started getting calls from the businesses that we had sold that residents were not coming in. The first couple of times we're like, oh, well, let's improve your offer. You know, let's rotate that out and maybe come up with a new one. Well, we, we got more and more calls saying that people weren't coming in, right? And so basically we talked to residents and they were fine with their living social and their Groupons and they didn't care about these little coupons that we were sending in, in, in these newsletters. It basically had to fold because we were not able to deliver value to those local businesses. And each of these apartment communities, there's only so many local businesses within you know a five mile radius that would even be interested in, in advertising anyway. And so you're going to burn through those pretty quick. Yeah. So unfortunately we had to shut that down. I came to the realization that that was almost a three-sided marketplace, right? We had the, the property management company that we had to get on board. We had the local businesses we had to sell, but then ultimately what mattered the most was the one thing we didn't validate, which was that residents were going to end up using it and they would find value in it. It always goes down to the customer in hand and what they're going to do with your product. Yeah, exactly. So to us, our customers were the local businesses. Right. But but really, we, we had two sets of customers that we had to account for. And so, you know, my, my lesson learned there was identifying anything and everything that that impacts your revenue and kind of work your way backwards from that to identify, you know, what needs to be done to validate that you're on the right path. It sounds like you took a lot of learnings from the digital agency that you were working for and tried to apply those in your business. I'm curious, what were you doing with that digital agency? Were you on the tech side? Were you on the marketing side? I founded it initially. And so then from there, I ended up bringing on you know a salesperson as a partner, which I wouldn't necessarily recommend. I mean, that in that case worked out, but typically your first salesperson is not going to work out. Got lucky there. Hasn't been the same in some other ventures that, that I've tried. So I don't really recommend that being your first hire. But in any case, it was for me and it, and it worked out. After that, brought in an operations person to kind of take that workload off my plate. So then I didn't have to focus on work or sales. I could kind of focus more on growth and strategy. And so that's kind of how that got built out. And then I just, a couple of years ago, I stepped down as CEO just serve as advisor. So, you know, I'll have a call with the team usually like once a month. I'm there for questions. And so, you know, I spend about an hour a month on it now, but 
it's good. The team is in place and I trust them to get the job done, I guess. So, you know, I can focus on other things and new challenges. I like that you've set up a business that's essentially self-managing, that's just keeping itself going, but it's something that you built from scratch. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. A lot of blood, sweat and tears for sure. I'd love to take you back to before you started that. Was founding businesses just what you started doing right out of high school or how did you get started in this? Not at all, actually. So interestingly enough, out of high school, I ended up getting a job at a trucking company called Conway. I was doing data entry and was just punching the clock. You know, I was trying to get my job done as quick as I can so I could get out early. And, and luckily I, I can type around a hundred words a minute. So I was able to perform data entry pretty well. And, and my, my eight hour shifts were usually done in six hours and go home and, and play games, right? As I started getting older, you know, I kind of was working my way up and I ended up being a supervisor by the time I was 21. I was managing people three times my age, which, which really helped me later on in, in business, coming to the realization that as a leader, you're, you're not going to be able to make everyone happy and you shouldn't try to make everyone happy. You just have to make the best decisions that you can and move on. If they're wrong decisions, then you learn from it, right? You know, that was a really good lesson for me to learn very early on. As things were looking up in, in regards to, I guess, my career trajectory, at the end of the day, it was in an industry I had no passion for and it was nothing that I wanted to do. And, and I, I got to a point where I didn't want to keep moving up because I was going to start making money at a level that would be very difficult to walk away from. If you start making 90, 100,000 a year, you can't go back to 40,000 and try a new career, right? And so I was, I was a little nervous about getting locked into that world. My family was, was in that world. My mother, my grandmother, they were, they were both in trucking and it was just not something I was interested in. Got out of that and ended up kind of starting a business with, with a friend that did not take off as nearly as quickly as, as I would have hoped. So then what I had to do is kind of say, okay, well, I need to do something else also. And so that something else was uh, what I decided to do is web development. And that was simply because in high school, I learned Dreamweaver and, and Photoshop and found that I enjoyed building websites and thought that was just awesome that I could do something and, and see it pop up on a screen. And I got a kick out of that. But ultimately, after getting my first web development customer, what I realized is I don't really like doing that for other people. And so <laughs> kind, of, kind of transitioned that web build type business into a marketing agency. And that's kind of how that evolved. That's a, quite a big jump, actually. And I, I know a lot of people who are doing development work they shy away from the marketing side of things because they, they're more attracted to the engineering side and they know how to do the technology, but they don't know how to, use, how to do the people quite the same way. Yeah. So luckily for me, because typically your, your, your techie guys, you know, they're, they're not that good with communication. They, they prefer not to have that communication. Right. And so that, that can be a detriment. But for me, I didn't necessarily come from a, a technology background. I mean, and I still don't necessarily, I mean, I still consider myself a non-technical founder just because I don't really do any coding. So the websites I was doing, yeah, I mean, but I'm, you know, I was building websites with tables and everything you're not supposed to do, right? And Dreamweaver asked me to build it from scratch. I mean, I really wouldn't know. But you know what you're not supposed to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can look at it and kind of see, you know, and diagnose what's happening. But building an app or a website from scratch is just not something that I would do. We quickly transitioned into WordPress only type websites, which, you know, just helped the speed of the game there for businesses. But yeah, you know, for me, what I was interested in is, okay, how do I get customers for this web development business that I'm starting? And I got really sucked into marketing and customer acquisition and really just found a passion for that 
that, you know, I then wanted to provide that as the service. And yeah, we would help with your websites. We would improve them because ultimately your website is your foundation, right? And if people come to your website and, and it looks like it's built in, in the 90s, you're going to have a hard time converting those, those visitors into customers. And so that was kind of always our, our angle was the website would be the foundation, but that we would then start driving the, the traffic to it. And, you know, like I said, I mean, one of our, our early hires was somebody that could handle that responsibility with the websites because, like I said, I was kind of over it from the standpoint of doing it for other people. Well, getting to the point where you have enough revenue coming in that you can afford to have an early hire is it's an interesting challenge. I'm curious how you got over that hump. Yeah, you know, uh, I mean, it, it took a while. It took a lot of effort. Like I said, I mean, I was prospecting six hours a day trying to find trying to find job listings and, and opportunities, and that lasted for about three weeks. And and then I actually got somebody right, and and they were willing to come on and and pay me almost two thousand dollars a month to do some marketing. And this was somebody that they were posting a job. And if you're posting a job for that position, you're going to be paying thirty five hundred to, to six thousand dollars a month for that person. And so my whole pitch to them was, don't spend that money. Pay me a fraction of that and get the job done, right? And so luckily that was actually somebody here local. I went and met with them in person. I had no idea if I was going to be able to answer all their questions and how that was going to go, but it went well. And after that, he said, send me over an agreement and let's get started. And so one of the hardest things to do in business is start to get momentum. And once you have the momentum, you need to focus on, on keeping that momentum. And so I didn't stop trying to acquire new customers ever. Even if I felt like we were at capacity. I love that you, you hacked the job listing process in order to find your, your initial customers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was definitely a project, but ultimately leveraged RSS feeds. And there used to be this tool called like crazed list that would, you could, you could enter queries. So like SEO or digital marketing or internet marketing and look within the specific job boards in specific cities and then convert those to RSS feeds, which then fed my RSS feed reader. And, you know, then from there that would feed into the system I built to send the emails and the outreach and everything else. And then you learn things, right? Like you can only send so many emails. I think at the time it was like 10 emails within, I want to say a minute, it might've even been like five minutes to Craigslist email addresses. Otherwise you get ghosted and none of your emails go through and you don't know. And so, you know, there's a lot, lot in that, but uh, eventually got a system that worked. So it was a lot of trial and error for sure. Yeah, and and those rules constantly change, and trying to stay on top of them is a real challenge. Absolutely, and this was this was eight years ago. I don't, I, don't, I can't even imagine what's been implemented since from Craigslist to try and prevent that. So I don't know if that'll still work, but uh, at least that was the process I, I did back in the day. So one of the things that intrigues me about the way you described the, your experiences as you were starting out, you use the word we a lot instead of the word I. And a lot of people who are going out there becoming entrepreneurs, they talk about I. I founded this. I built this. Can you tell me more about the team structure that you were working inside of? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I, I've always it's it's kind of funny. I mean, I've always said we even when it was just me and, and <laughs> largely that was to give like a larger than we are perception. Right. And, and I, I just felt that if potential customers knew it was just me, that that would not go over well. But, you know, in hindsight, not really a big deal. That was never really a, a motivating factor. And, and in any case, maybe the opposite, right? They, they like the fact that they can go direct to the source. So didn't really make an impact one way or the other. But as the company progressed, ultimately, it, it, was, the, it was the team closing the deals. It was the team doing the work. I was there to, to kind of pull us along and, and manage and come up with new ideas. But, you know, the, the team is, they're the ones that executed it. 
definitely would not be in the spot that I'm in with without the people that you know have helped along the way. It sounds like you've, you've gathered them together yourself and put together a team of people that you, you know that you like working with that you trust. Yeah, easier said than done. Started off, my first hire was not someone that I knew in advance, but that worked out. And then my second hire after that, and, and I, th- I think even the third and fourth hires were, were people I knew. That has some pros and cons. You know, If it works out, awesome. If it doesn't, those are some difficult conversations and you have to have them, unfortunately. So I've had more than my share of difficult conversations. But, you know, again, I think going back to the, the job that I had that, you know, I took out of high school that then I, I rolled that into management. I, I had to make some difficult decisions. I had to fire people. I've had to have those tough conversations. And that helped, I think, groom me as an entrepreneur later on. I think learning management early on at somebody else's expense is, is definitely a benefit when you're starting your own business and you have to become a manager yourself. But there are a lot of other things you had to learn in order to build the types of businesses that you created. I'm curious where you built the knowledge that you needed to create the businesses. Yeah, you know, it's funny. In high school, I was I was a C student. Never really gave much effort. I mean, if I ever had homework, it was never done. If I couldn't do the work in class, it was just not getting done, right? And so it's it's been kind of an interesting transformation for me because as I've gotten older, I, I just have this this just just strong desire for for learning new things. You know, I subscribe to a ton of blogs. I read a lot of books. I'm just I'm constantly trying to learn and and grow my knowledge. And so I think that certainly helped. Whenever I have a challenge, whenever I'm faced with maybe it's a, a leadership thing, maybe it's a you know it's it's a marketing thing, maybe it's sales. I know early on I had no idea how to perform sales, but I had to figure it out. You know, yeah, I had a sales partner, but didn't have that out of the gate. I had to close business. And so I realized I didn't know how to have those conversations and I didn't know how to manage a sales process. And, you know, everything that that I I had challenges with, I I really just dove in and and tried to read as much as I could about those challenges just to form my own process, I guess. That's interesting. So it was mostly through reading. You didn't take courses or anything. Nope. So I went to school for a little bit, ended up dropping out. I, I went to school for computer science initially, but then decided I wanted to do sports journalism. I'm a season ticket holder for the Arizona Cardinals, big sports fan, <laughs> but kind of realized that, A, chances are I wasn't going to be covering the Arizona Cardinals, and I was going to be doing some random high school football, and, and I couldn't have a, a rooting interest in any team, you know? And so I was like, okay, you know what? I don't think that sounds as cool anymore. So I uh, didn't really know what I was going to do. Ended up deciding to to just not go, and I wasted my my time for another year or so, and just still had no idea what I was going to do just kind of focused on my work. And, and that was when it started to kind of progress, taking supervisor roles and, and moving up in the company. And ultimately, when I decided to start a business, I mean, it was just game over at that point. I mean, that, that's what I knew I wanted to do. I found myself just, I never, I don't ever play video games or anything like that. And that, that all just stopped when I became an entrepreneur because I found when I was playing them, I was in the back of my mind, I felt almost guilty about it. And, and I just felt like, you know what? I like making money more. And I want to do something that, that can help me make more money. If you're going to gain accomplishment points, they may as well be accomplishment points in your bank account. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, so yeah, I just kind of started to make that, that transition, I think, as I became an entrepreneur, I guess. 
That's interesting. And so what, what were you reading? What resources did you turn to in order to learn the things you needed? Yeah. So one of the, one of the books I read early on is called The Ultimate Sales Machine by the late Chet Holmes. And when I read that book, it was just so powerful for me as a founder that was kind of new to sales and didn't really understand the concept of setting expectations and, and uh, negotiations and you know, all of these things that go into it. Reading this book, I was just so blown away. I had actually planned on sending him a letter with like, I, I planned on sending like a hundred bucks to him, you know, not that that matters to him. But I, so I went to Google him and get his address so I could send him this thank you letter, which I, n- I never do. And I have never done since, but this is, this is the time I was going to do it. You know, I, I send, I send emails and whatnot to people if they have impacted me in some way, but this is the first time I was going to do a handwritten letter and, and even send, send some money along with it. I went to look up his address. And that's when I found out he had passed away. And, and I remember actually having tears in my eyes when I, when I learned this, which was just so unfortunate. But to this day, it is the, the number one book I recommend for founders in particular is The Ultimate Sales Machine by Chet Holmes. That's fascinating. It sounds like he had a, a really significant impact on your life. Yeah. It helped me kind of put together the puzzle of sales in, in a way which is just such a critical component of any business is understanding how and why your customers buy and almost manipulating that process, that decision-making process through just a well-crafted sales experience. And so having not only the ways that you can generate leads, you know, all of your marketing channels, but then once you have those leads, how to, how to take them to the finish line. And so that, that book really opened my eyes into what, what it takes, you know, and then beyond that, just also what it takes to, to start building that sales team. What does a, a commission structure look like? How, to, how do you hire these people? What gets salespeople excited about selling your dream and your vision? All of these things that, that you know, I had no prior experience with, it, it just really opened my eyes. And I, I felt like he wrote it specifically for me, you know, which is a pretty powerful way to, to read a book when you feel like it was meant just for you because the situations he described seemed to be exactly what I was going through. And really, it really was a, a powerful book for me. I can see the impact. I don't know if it'll have that same impact for other people, especially if you already have that knowledge already to begin with. But if you're if you're lacking those sales skills, I mean, I, I would definitely recommend starting with that book. Well, it sounds like you got more from that book than just the things that you learned from it. It sounds like you actually found this person sort of as a role model. And it doesn't sound like in your life, you had a lot of other people to model yourself after who were doing the sorts of things you were looking to do. Yeah, great read, man. Are you a poker player? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a podcaster. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. No, that, that's a great read. I, no one in my family really was an entrepreneur, you know, I definitely did not have that role model or, or anyone to follow that was close to me. So yeah, I turned to books to, to learn from. And yeah, I think you nailed it. I mean, Chet was somebody that I, I grew fond with just through his words in this book and certainly looked up to him for sure. So, you know, yeah, I, I wanted to see what else he had done. And that's was, was kind of part of my inspiration for even sending him a letter was I actually wanted to get on his radar. <laughs> and meet him and do all these things. And, th- and that's when I realized like, I just wasn't going to be able to do that, unfortunately, with, with him passing. And so, yeah, it was, it was unfortunate. But one of the things you did mention earlier on is that you were involved in a mastermind more recently. And it, I always associate people who get involved with masterminds with people who, who recognize the value of having strong mentorship in their lives. It's so fascinating because you can, you can learn so much just by going through these mastermind sessions with other people. Ideally, these other people are in similar situations as you, but it's, it's nice because I've kind of taken this, this mindset of if I'm facing a challenge in my business, 
what I'll do is disassociate myself from, from the business. I'll, I'll act as if I'm an outside consultant now and I see this challenge and where we're at. And if I were advising myself, right, if I were advising myself, what would I recommend doing in this situation? And it's unbelievable how that changes the scope because it's so easy to get lost in what you're doing. Whereas if you take a step back and say, okay, if I have all of these challenges, so if I know revenue is not growing and I'm sitting here screwing around with product specs and new features, would I really advise that to another business? You know what? Keep pounding on those features. You know, the revenue will, will come, right? No, I wouldn't say that. Right. So I would say, okay, well, you know what, maybe I need to stop building features and I need to focus on marketing channels or the sales process or something growth oriented. It's a little easier if you just step back. But what's nice about a mastermind session is you get that from other people too. And these are people that, that intimately know your business because you're meeting on a regular basis and, and all the walls are down. I mean, you're, you're sharing revenue, you're sharing personnel problems, you're sharing growth strategies and, and, and all of these things that, that go into what impacts your business. And so to have people that are in similar situations, providing that feedback, you know, is, is definitely uh, very helpful. And, and I would recommend it to, to any founder. And that can be very powerful, I know. And one of the challenges is finding a mastermind that you're comfortable with. And I'm curious, can you tell us a little bit more about the mastermind you're involved in? Yeah, so I've got, I'm actually in, in two masterminds. I'm in one with my podcast co-host, Greg Hickman, Brian Castle, who has a podcast called Bootstrapped Web. And the three of us are, are in it. They, you know, this started as kind of a productized service mastermind. So at the time, we all had productized services. But I've since evolved LeadFuse into a full-blown SaaS product. The second mastermind that I am in is SaaS-focused. And so it's with Jordan Gall of, of carthook.com and then Patrick Campbell of priceintelligently.com. It's just the three of us, and it's solely focused on SaaS-related problems. And so... With LeadFuse, we, we kind of offer a, a service component, kind of this, as Nathan Berry dubbed it, concierge onboarding, where we help users with their email sequences and provide best practices and all of that. So there's still a little bit of a, of a service component. And so I'm in both, get, get value. The product I service mastermind, we actually have just recently transitioned to kind of just a Slack chat only. We're no longer meeting on a weekly basis. The SaaS group is a every other week session on Friday, we get together and just kind of pound through issues that we're facing and, and get some feedback from, from the other, the other members. But yeah, it's uh, it's worthwhile. That's interesting. So are you uh, co-located with your fellow mastermind members? Nope. I mean, everybody's, everybody's all over. So I've got one. So Jordan's in Oregon. I'm in Phoenix. Patrick's in New York. So that kind of makes, or I'm sorry, Boston. So that kind of makes it interesting because we're literally East Coast and West Coast there. And then my other one with Greg, who's in Denver and, and Brian, who is in Connecticut. So same kind of situation there, but hasn't really been an issue. You know, we found a time early on that works and, and it's, it's been that way for almost a couple of years now. So you guys are in similar industries, but you didn't work together. Or how did you find each other for these mastermind groups? Yeah, great question. So Brian Castle actually came to me and I decided if I wanted to join a mastermind, I wanted to not be the one that was giving out all the all the tips and strategies, right? Like I wanted to learn something from these people. And so I'd actually come across Bootstrapped Web because I looked up in my podcast player, I just looked up Bootstrapped and came across Brian's podcast in Jordan Gall is actually a part of that as well. 
he's a, a co-host on there, but originally it was just Brian and I had kind of wanted to get on his radar a little bit just to get to know him. So I would comment on the episodes and I would tweet at him and I would share their, their podcast episodes and that kind of helped me get on his radar a little bit. So then I'd share a blog post with him and one day he just randomly reached out to me direct to see if I'd be interested in doing a mastermind with him and this other guy, Greg, that's when Greg and I met and we started doing a podcast together, Zero to Scale. And then through that, I knew Jordan and because we'd met up at, at a conference uh, in Vegas called MicroConf. Amazing conference if, if you've never been. It, it's the go-to every, every April in Vegas. I won't miss it. But in any case, we met up in person for the first time. And then it was after that, I was like, we're transitioning from productized into a SaaS component SaaS software really entirely. And so I wanted to get with people that, that had experience in, in SaaS. And so that's when I decided to reach out to Jordan and then Patrick as well, who I had actually invited on as, as a guest for the Zero to Scale podcast early on. And he joined us and I just reached out because I knew he was deep into SaaS pricing in particular and, and had a lot of insights from all these customers. And so that was somebody else I could learn something from. So yeah, you know, I just I recommend getting on somebody's radar that that you admire that might be in a in a similar position as you and start to get to know them a little bit and be a resource for them and then see if they'd be interested in kind of formalizing that relationship a little bit into a mastermind. Yeah, I like how that that sort of led to the Zero to Scale podcast, which as I mentioned before, it's a little bit like listening in on a mastermind because you've got this radical transparency where you're sharing everything about your experiences. I'm curious how that's been developing. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm so glad you described it that way because that is exactly what we described it as when we came up with the concept was let's just basically have this open mastermind session where we're going to talk about what we did not get accomplished from the week before that we said we would just to hold each other accountable. And then let's talk about what we did do for the business and kind of what, what impacts that's having. The third kind of part of the show is just our plans for the upcoming week. And so the next week, again, we'll, we'll start with the fails from the plans that we didn't get done. We'll kind of talk about why that is. And I think that's important because that's the thing, right? You, you listen to podcasts and you read blogs and it just seems like, man, everybody's just grow, 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 right? Like everybody's just moving forward and I'm sitting here. I don't know what's happening, but my business isn't growing like theirs and, you know, whatever. And so this is just a week by week look into the business. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, we, we've been having some churn due to some pr product problems that we're in the process of fixing, you know, and, and it's like, I have to go and talk about this in public with, with everybody listening that our revenue went backwards. It can be tough. You know, you have to be okay with it. But like I said, I got so much value from Groove's blog and also Buffer, you know, they do a really good job of sharing their journey just felt like the, the missing component was the, the struggles and what it really takes on a week to week basis, not just, uh, you know, a blog post about it, but, but really diving into, okay, these are the tasks that I actually did. These are the tools that I'm using. This is worth it. This is not worth it. <laughs> Sharing those, those lessons on a, on a weekly basis is, has been interesting, but, but yeah, you're, you're right in the sense that it is almost like a, this public public mastermind, if you will. One of the things that I get out of it is this deep introspection that comes out of having to produce content on a regular basis where you're sharing this experience and the degree to which it focuses you on what you have to think about for your own business, just so that you'll have something to talk about in the show. You know, that's exactly it, right? Like if I just sat on my hands all week, that would not make for a very good podcast episode. And so if I'm doing things that maybe I shouldn't be doing, 
I'm going to be advising people in a way that are listening that this is what I worked on. And so you really have to be careful about what it is that you're, you're talking about. And because of that, it really helps me focus on things that matter. And so, because again, I, I don't want to mislead people or, or give bad advice. You know, we, we've prefaced that from the beginning that, listen, we, we don't have all the answers. We're going to make do the, the best we can. And if we're wrong, then we'll learn from it and move on and we'll share that too. But at the end of the day, I mean, you shouldn't just blindly follow people and, and do what they do anyway. But, you know, hopefully it helps give some frameworks from a, from a, I guess, if nothing else, just a thought process of how to apply it to, to your own business. So you've gotten yourself into the rhythm now where every week you're giving these public reports on what you've been working on. I'm curious, what, what are the tools that you end up using on a regular basis to keep your business going? Man, it's so interesting. So yeah, we started this kind of what's your tool of the week component to the podcast at the very top of the show. And we're, I mean, we're in now over a hundred tools that we've referenced, but you know, I will say some of the critical ones right now, we're, we're a remote team. We actually are transitioning into an office space and we're going to get people here local, but because we're a remote team, Slack is, is definitely a critical tool for us. Outside of that, we're using the, the Google apps, Google Drive, Google Docs, all of that. Obviously Stripe for payment processing. Intercom we use for monitoring how the app is being used. Zendesk for support. We decided to kind of take up our support, take that up a notch. We were using Intercom, but it's not, it's not really that good for support and kind of you know, managing tickets and, and everything else. At least initially it is, but at some point, you know, you kind of grow beyond that. Using Trello for our, our content management process, GitHub with ZenHub to manage the development process. So ZenHub is like almost this Trello board inside of GitHub, which is nice. Yeah, those are those are some off the off the top of my head. I mean, I could go on and all day. I'm, I'm <laughs> I, I call myself a SaaS hole. You know, I like to I like to play with SaaS tools all the time. See what they're doing. See how they work. You know, Salesforce is our is our CRM. But yeah, you know, there's there's a lot. Like I said, I could I could go on and on for sure. The marketplace is endless, and there's constantly innovation happening, and you need to stay on top of all of the tools. It's just as hard as trying to stay on top of all of the ways that languages evolve when you're doing web development. Everything keeps changing so quickly these days. Yeah, you're, you're spot on there, in particular on the marketing side. I mean, there just seems to be new marketing tools all, uh, every day. But for that, I, I use like Moz just to do some site audits and, and some research, and then I'll use SEMrush as well. And so they, that kind of monitors our, our keyword rankings and competitors and ads and, you know, everything else. So those are the two kind of marketing tools that I'm subscribed to. ClickFunnels is, is another one that I've recently started using. I have that kind of feeding into EverWebinar, which we're using for on-demand demos. And how are you staying on top of the marketplace? Who, who do you read and who do you follow? Yeah, so a lot of a lot of reading. So I actually have a weekly newsletter for sales in particular called Slice of Sales. It's at sliceofsales.com. But basically that forces me, kind of like the podcast forces me to make sure that I'm doing things that matter. The weekly newsletter forces me to make sure that I'm staying on top of the industry and, and what's going on as well. And so I just kind of curate the best sales content that I've read and, and kind of put that into a weekly newsletter. And so I use Feedly. And I subscribe to tons of blogs. And so we actually, earlier this year, we wrote a, a blog on just the, the best sales blogs. And I literally just put all of those into my Feedly under a sales category. And so my Feedly every day, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll browse my Feedly. I usually get anywhere from 100 to 150 articles a day, like new, new blog posts. Going through there and I'll save articles for later. 
just by by holding it down on my app I'll, I'll save it or if I'm in a browser I can click to save it later and then usually on Saturday is when I'll go through all of the articles I saved from the week and, and start kind of going through that and saving from there which ones I want to include in the newsletter and whatnot so yeah that's my my uh, my content digestion process I guess I like that you've turned your research into marketing yeah exactly yep <laughs> But I'm curious how you stay motivated yourself, because it sounds to me like you're doing a lot. And what do you do to take care of yourself? Like, I guess from like a f physical taking care of myself? Physical, mental, emotional. It's stressful because you've got a company that you're trying to run. You've got things moving so quickly. You've got all these publications that you're keeping track of. Yeah, I've got a wife and two kids too, right? So, so yeah, it's a, it's a definitely, it's a challenge. You know, I'm not going to lie. I mean, it's, it is tough to find that, that focus. You know, I have worked on it, right? So I've, I've gotten better at my work times. You know, I typically wrap up by 5.30 or so my time, whereas before maybe that would bleed into 6.30, 7 o'clock, kind of trim that down a little bit. I use Asana for my task management. So for me, I'm, I literally I have on there a daily task to work out because if it's not on Asana, I will not remember to do it. I like to just get that out of my head. I'm somebody that kind of subscribes to this theory that your brain is like a battery and it only has so much power throughout the day. And when you're spinning that on trying to make decisions and, and remember things and, and whatnot, you know, you're, just, you're just wasting it. And so it's why Steve Jobs just wore the same outfit every day, right? Because he didn't want to have to use his brain to think about what to wear. I'm a fan of that process. And so I, the moment I have a task, I just immediately open up Asana, put it in there and assign a due date to it. Literally, my wife will ask me to do things around the house. And if it's not in my Asana, it won't get done, right? So she knows that. So she'll send me an email, which will remind me to put it in Asana. You know, I really leverage Asana and task management to, to stay on top of things. And again, I have to remind myself, okay, take a break or work out, do some crunches, do something like that. I'm, I'm very regimented with, with task management for sure. But that's how I kind of stay on top of my professional life in particular, but key kind of personal things as well. So if it's, you know, like right now, I've got a task to schedule a time to uh, get an oil change on my truck, right? So if I didn't have that task, I wouldn't, wouldn't get it done. So yeah, that's kind of how I manage it, I guess. So would you say that the way that you've structured your lifestyle right now, is that kind of what you envisioned for yourself or is this not what you were expecting? I would say it is what I envisioned my, myself doing as of seven, eight years ago. Before that, I didn't even know I wanted to be an entrepreneur. It wasn't until I became one that I realized, wow, this is what I was meant to do. I thought I was going to be doing something in sports when I was in high school, something within like a front office, which was like, if I could do anything, if I had a superpower, I would be like the general manager of the Arizona Cardinals, right? I, I love that concept of building a, building a roster and, and doing negotiations and all of that, managing the draft. That, that's something I'm very passionate about. But in any case, as I've become an entrepreneur, what I realized is that this is what I'm always going to do. I'll never retire. You know, like I'm just not a foot in the sand type of a guy. Like I want to do something bigger the next time. And so I think I've kind of come to that realization that I'm doing what I'm probably always going to be doing. That's interesting. So where do you see your business going next? So we're going to be opening up an office here locally and my partner is in Florida and he's moving out here at the beginning of the year. We've kind of made this decision that for us to get to the level that we want to get to, which is ultimately just to be the, the go-to number one source for lead generation, that we're going to have to build out a culture. We're going to have to build out a team. 
get people under one roof. A sales team in particular, very hard to do that in a, in a remote setting. Companies that, that do have, you know, all, like Buffer, they don't really have a sales team. You need that camaraderie. You need that competitiveness. And they need to feel that when they're shoulder to shoulder with their teammates, right? So that's something that we wanted to put under one roof anyway. But as the company is kind of maturing and, and growing, I just kind of have come to this realization that I would like to have everybody under one roof. And that way, if there are challenges, we can talk through it in an open environment. There's more of a team sense. It's not like your job or, or you're, you're not going to feel isolated, right? You've got a, you've got a team around you all kind of pulling in the same direction. I'm in the minority here. I think with a lot of people in this community of, of startup founders that kind of have this idealistic view of remote work and just working from home and working from your pajamas and you know getting things done and making money, which is great. And, and I've done it for the last couple of years and it's, and it's awesome. I went from my agency being fully in office to now being fully remote and hiring in that capacity and, and you know managing a remote team. And at the end of the day, I'm going back to an office. I gave it a shot. Uh, I think there's times and places for it. You know, we may look at having optional remote days because I do see advantages. But for from a company, uh, in particular on the employee side, right? Employees obviously find the advantages of working from home. But from a company and uh, company perspective and, and where we want to go, I think ultimately we're just going to have to do this from an office. And, and so that's kind of the, the next big thing that's coming for, for LeadFuse internally. But yeah, we're, we're working on a new version of our platform, which will be rolled out at the beginning of the year as well, which is going to just be a total game changer. It truly automates the lead gathering for you. You know, whereas right now you're kind of still building your list. This will automate that. So yeah, a lot, a lot of excitement there for sure. It, it sounds great. And I think I think that there are a lot of people out here who are listening to are going to be interested in getting in touch with you. How can people find out more about LeadFuse? Yeah, absolutely. So you can go to LeadFuse.com. You can shoot me an email, Justin at LeadFuse. That's L-E-A-D-F-U-Z-E dot com as well. Fantastic. That's, that's very easy and very direct. Not a lot of people yeah. share their emails. You Do you read all of those? I do. Every one of them. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a big inbox zero guy. In the past two months is probably the been the best that I have been at it where I will get through my inbox every day and, and get that down to zero by the time I leave. So, so yeah, I, I look at every one of them and if I'm able to, you know, obviously I'll, I'll, I'll respond as, as soon as I can, but shouldn't be more than 24 hours. That inbox zero is a bold lifestyle choice. I'm impressed. Yeah, it's a little stressful, you know, but uh, I'm trying to get better at just checking it a few times throughout the day. You know, not every time I get an email notification on the bottom of my Chrome, right? Try to try to avoid that. I turned off email notifications on my phone, so I want to streamline that a little bit. But at the end of the day, I'd like to leave my desk with my emails taken care of. Interesting processes. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. Absolutely. Are you glad you listened to this episode of Hack the Process? Then take an action now. Make a note about something you just heard and how it's going to help you as you hack your own process. And let me know about it. This has been M. David Green, your host for Hack the Process. You can tweet me at Hack the Process, leave a review for the show on iTunes, and visit HackTheProcess.com to check out the show notes for this episode and join our community of process hackers. Thanks for listening. <laughs>